Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Dominic Booth. Good afternoon. And we said earlier in the week that we can promise you a podcast a week till the season starts, and who would have guessed it? We're back already again today. Uh, sorry, the transfer window is still ongoing, but the Premier League fixtures are out as well. United begin the season technically uh, away to Burnley. That game's already been postponed. So United's first game will be Palace at home, Brighton away, then Tottenham at home. I mean, you've got to play every team twice. It doesn't really matter what happens. But Samuel, Palace at home, and I guess considering United lost that game early on last season, that's a good place to start, really, to see just how far they've come. Is it? Is, does, does anyone care whether they're playing Palace at home or not? Um, I mean, it's a strange one because people try and stick their oar in and say you should do this, that and the other on fixtures. But to be honest, I'm kind of with the supporters on this. It's it's not got that buzz about it because supporters aren't, aren't getting in stadiums for the foreseeable future. Uh, we have to obviously persist with some, you know, half-hearted analysis as to why Crystal Palace on September the 19th or 20th might be a big game but I'd be to be honest um it's it's just it doesn't really grab me as as it usually would do um I think last year there was the sensible decision made of actually announcing the the actual date and time of the opening round of fixtures with the release of the fixtures they've not done that this year clearly because supporters can't get inside the stadiums um so yeah, I mean the whole the whole announcement around it it, it doesn't really grab me to be honest. Uh, for, for once, I, I I think the actual talking actually talking about transfers is preferable to talking about fixtures. You know that it's not um, that, that the whole significance of it is not actually that significant when the United website has. Sp- that their wipeout is on fixtures and the four or five stories below them are about fixtures as well. That has literally got to be the only website in the world that's gone that big on fixtures. And and in their case, they should be going big on it. I think for actual, you know, news outlets like ourselves, it's kind of, well, there's that game and that game that's going to be changed and have its date changed and its kickoff time changed. And let's let's just move on from that. Yeah, Dom, I guess the, the point is they are so provisional at this stage that it doesn't really matter too much. I guess it maybe gives fans a, a bit... I mean, usually it's some... it's For fans, it spells the end of the summer. It's something to look forward to again, but football's only just finished. So I guess people are a bit fatigued of it anyway. They want the break from football. The fact that it's back in a few weeks makes a few eyes uh, roll anyway. I guess the only real significant things in terms of the scheduling is the fact that Champions League to contest with as well. It's going to be a packed fixture schedule. You've got the international breaks as well. And I guess the main talking point from United fans again as Samuel said it transfer related is the fact that the squad depth needs to be improved not just by the transfer deadline in October but by the start of October really when the games start getting thick, thicker and faster yeah there's a daunting period isn't there in October I think where United are going to be severely tested I think they're playing Spurs uh, Chelsea uh, and Arsenal all in the space of four games that they'll be three and Newcastle three. away which they lost as well last and season and Newcastle away which was a yeah. horrible October rainy day in, Oct- in around that same time of year um which had the the misfortune of attending and seeing United absolutely dreadful and beating one nil by a Matty Longstaff goal. So I look forward to that repeating itself uh, again. But I just, yeah, I'd never really have got the the massive excitement and buzz over the fixture announcement. I mean, the Mitchell and Webb sketch. Uh, that's the football, all the football coming up, play, play, playing each other in various combinations. Sort of springs to mind when when this comes round. I guess it's it's nice for it'd be nice when fans come back and you know the trip to Allen Road will be a 
a good one to look forward to and and obviously the you know Anfield trip and stuff like that are always big games but yeah it's uh it, it doesn't work the appetite as Samuel said yeah, I saw one of like another outlet put one of those graphics on before that said uh, some great Premier League games to come in 2020. But has there ever been a year where there's not been great Premier League games to look at? Who actually cares? You've got to play more than 1991. There wasn't a yeah. great Premier League game to look forward to then. So true. So true. Always, <laughs> always on brand. Uh, one, I know we don't want to talk about fixtures too much. Samuel, the last sort of point of that, I saw a couple of fans on social media saying that maybe there's a disadvantage for United, the fact that they... That, you know they, they play the big teams quite early on in terms of Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham, and those are all home games. But by the end of the season, the return legs might be in stadiums where they've got a home advantage. It doesn't really matter too much, I think. But I mean, United probably gain from having no fans when they go to Newcastle away. But do you think the fact that United are playing big teams early on without the home crowd, home crowd to galvanise them, could be a potential disadvantage? I, I mean, if you, if you want to go down the route of analyzing things like that then I mean having those supporters in the stadium does make a huge difference just from covering those games like Lasklins would not have got annihilated 5-0 by United I don't think um, if they had their hardcore um, contingent in for the, the biggest game in their club's history I suspect Villa wouldn't have been dispatched as easily as they were um, if, if they had their support in bearing in mind they were trying to stay up at the time Brighton away has been a horror show for United in the last couple of years but they go there with no no fans inside the stadium and they win 3-0 and they win very impressively so it does have a massive bearing it, it is interesting I suppose well is it interesting probably no it isn't actually um, but the fact that they have got a lot of big games away from home in the second half of the season um, you, you know ho- hopefully by that time supporters are you know, fully back inside stadiums and stadiums are, are full to the rafters so, I think that there's still every chance that won't be the case, unfortunately, just because of how ever-changing the situation is with the pandemic. But, I mean, it does it does make me wonder with certain games, like Leeds versus United being scheduled for late April, um, that's almost as if they're thinking, you know, how, how drab would it be to have the first Leeds United versus Manchester United league game since, I think, October 2003 at Ellen Road um, in front of no supporters. So they've given themselves a good amount of time to try and get fans back in. And I think Leeds are due at Old Trafford in is it mid-December. So again, they've mm. kind of ensured that there's a possibility of having home supporters and away supporters in attendance for those games. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other clubs where it, it doesn't quite work out like that, where there are big games and they are guaranteed to be in front of no supporters whatsoever. But United are the biggest draw in, in the Premier League and one of the biggest draws in world football. So I think there's always bound to be um, an extra bit of curating going on when it comes to uh, where their fixture list is concerned. Yeah, of course. Uh don't worry, boys. That's the end of fixtures for now. We can move on. They, they will play everyone. Uh, the other kind of pressing news that's not transferred today, Dean Henderson back at United Training Ground. I know it's man turns up for work sort of story, but there is interest there because, of course, Bournemouth have agreed to sign Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, Bournemouth have sold sorry, Aaron Ramsdale to Sheffield United and they've already signed Wes Fodringham as well. So that's two new keepers Sheffield United have got this summer. Dean Henderson's future, of course, Fans love to know about that. Uh, Don, for you, you've also written a piece about how United might line up on the first day of next season. What do you think is going to happen personally with Dean Henderson? Well, perhaps controversially, I've gone for I've gone for Henderson in goal in that first game of the season, which is going to be against Crystal Palace with the the Burnley uh, one that was scheduled uh, now postponed. 
I, I do think that that all the signs look look like Henderson is is making a play for the number one jersey. And I know Solskjaer didn't he didn't drop the hair and he actually brought him back for the the key FA Cup and Europa League semi finals, which I think probably was a bit of a mistake. I think Romero probably deserved to play in those games, but I just think that Henderson is the is the coming force really and. It's very clear that he has designs on the the number one role at United. He doesn't he doesn't want to sit back. He doesn't. He's very very ambitious. Obviously, um, he's made that perfect step at Sheffield United, helping them achieve a very very solid season. And he was probably the Premier League's best keeper last season, I I think. And yeah, it's a it's a massive decision. It's not as easy as, as I'm making it out to be for Solskjaer. It's a big call to drop a, a keeper like that here, who's been United's number one for the best part of a decade. But I just I just have an inkling that, that Henderson would be the right choice, whether whether he goes that way or not remains to be seen. Yeah, of course, Henderson's already penned his farewell to Sheffield United. Samuel, you did the line saying that talks are progressing over Henderson's future. You've said as well in the past, you know, that not, neither him or De Gea want to be second fiddle next season. So there is maybe that, there's that fascinating maybe battle between them to, to be number one. But what do you think, maybe what does your gut tell you about Henderson? Do you think he will get a fair chance at United next season or do you think he'll look to pursue a move elsewhere if he's not given the assurances of being a number one? Uh, I, I think that he will... I mean, he certainly wants assurances. He wants to know that he's going to be made number one or at least there's an immediate pathway to being named number one. It's it's a, I mean, it's a delicate situation all the more so because De Gea and Henderson have got competition to start at the Euros next summer for their for their nations. Um, De Gea, I suppose, is in a better position, even though he's been his form has been so poor in that Kepa has had an even worse season with Chelsea, and Chelsea are trying to cut their losses of him, which is easier said than done because I, mean, I didn't realise he's, he's still got five years left in his contract, which is, is pretty extraordinary given that they bought him two years ago and with Henderson of course he's he's never played for United he's never played for England but I mean I think only Jordan Pickford and his family members would probably say that Jordan Pickford is a better goalkeeper than Henderson um the the, the pandemic has probably delayed Henderson's England debut and him actually becoming England number one as well even though Nick Pope has had another very good season with with Burnley and uh, I think is is certainly a creditable option to to go to Chelsea and, and replace Kepper as well. So to, to an extent, it does make sense that Henderson goes out on loan again next season. And I'm not surprised that uh, his association his association with Sheffield United has ended because if you look at his loans since he went to I think it would have been Stockport County nearly five or six years ago, every year. He's moved up a level, whether it be from National League to League Two to League One to the Championship to the Premier League. Given how cocksure a goalkeeper Henson is, I've I've no doubt that he probably sees himself as a Champions League goalkeeper. And if United could somehow arrange for a Champions League loan, and if he is up for a Champions League loan to an overseas club, whoever that club might be, I have no idea. But that kind of benefits them and it allows them to delay that decision for another year. And it maybe keeps Romero happy. But I don't think you can necessarily underestimate Romero's unhappiness at um, at being dropped for the semi-final. His, his reps were very, very uh, piqued by that, to say the least. Um, I mean, as, as Dom said, I, I thought it was a, a needless move by Solskjaer. And, and in doing that, it makes the call come the first game of next season all the more um, 
fascinating and and all them and, and just bigger as well because he's shown such loyalty in De Gea um, that it does make you wonder will he stick by him at the start of the next season? Which I, I don't think he should. I think he should just give Henson a, a, fair, a fair crack of the whip now. Um, but with Romero clearly unhappy now that he's he's not been given that that extra responsibility of starting cup semi-finals for United and it was particularly costly against Chelsea less so against Sevilla but he you know he's open to leaving now and he's out of contract next year and of course they've got the plus one option so he's effectively got two years left at United on his deal but if he feels it's though it's time to go and he's 33 and his resale value is still pretty good then it does put United in a bit of a pickle in terms of whether they loan out Henderson because they need a dependable number two um, as backup for De Gea and that's not Lee Grant and it's certainly not Joel Pereira either who um, I think if you, you only have to look on Twitter at what Hearts fans said about his time on loan there to get an idea of how badly it went. So suddenly the team that have got the best English, Spanish and Argentinian goalkeepers in their squad might end up having to actually sign a goalkeeper again, which um, would be quite peculiar, but quite possible as well. So, as I said, I think if if Romero had been retained for those cup semi-finals, then maybe letting Henderson go back on loan would have made sense. But of course, you know, the wider point is, who is the best goalkeeper to choose from at United at the moment? And I think a lot of people would say that's Henderson. So just keeping De Gea and Henderson happy, sometimes you've just got to be selfish and do what is best for the club. And in United's case, I think a lot of people, as I said, would say just put make Henderson number one. He's going to get... I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't sign a new contract. Um, he's going to be on wages in excess of 100 grand, which is a hell of a lot of money for someone who's never played for United, but a reflection of how well he has done out on loan and his current status um, and what they think of him as well. And of course, they've also got to ward off interest from a lot of other clubs who are prepared to offer well in excess of £100,000 a week. Um, so they've been pressured into that to, to an extent United, but it, Henderson has kind of earned that because of how well he's done with Sheffield United over the last couple of years. Yeah, I was going to try to play devil's advocate there and say is Henderson actually good enough to play in that first team? Obviously, it'd be a more intense platform for him, but I think, like you said, he's definitely proven himself to, to be it's, worthy it's of a, a chance. And it's and it's harder to defend De Gea these days because yeah, it's it's a it's a valid point because it's a completely different pressure going from playing for Sheffield United to playing for um, United. I mean, someone like Daniel James was was pretty fearless at first, and I think in retrospect it just looks like it was a, a prolonged purple patch, but certainly in the second half of the season, the pressure did get to him, and, and he did look out of his depth an awful lot of the time. Aaron Wan-Bissaka still doesn't get forward enough. Um, Harry Maguire's best performance for United, I'd still say, was, was on his debut. So you can't say that you peaked on your debut. United there is a different kind of pressure that comes with that and then you've got someone like Fernandez who was just you know, thrives off playing of, of having the profile of being a United player Henderson has obviously got that self-belief there but and, and he had he did make really really bad errors for Sheffield United and he would recover from them but it's all very well and good doing that in the championship or doing it for a team that um, finished at mid-table in the Premier League but had a tremendous Premier League season still yeah, of course. And you think about the mistake in particular uh, Henderson made against Liverpool. If you do that for United against Liverpool, it, you don't get the same 
response at all from fans on social media. No. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen just what will happen with that. But, you know, social civilian monk himself, that's really difficult I, to keep free keepers happy as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the one, th- one of the reasons why I kind of hope uh, Henson stays, and this is purely for professional perspective, just to gauge it and, and see how he would respond, is that I think he might be the most reviled Manchester United player to ever step foot in Ellen's Road if he does start there in April. And that's some going when you consider Cantona and Joe Jordan and Gordon McQueen and all those players who moved from Leeds to United. But the, the, the way he responded to some unimaginably sick hatred he got off Leeds fans last year when Sheffield United won there in the championship was impressive and you know was, to quote Alan Partridge he had, he had the last laugh as well because Sheffield he United bounced went back up. <laughs> he, he bounced back and and Sheffield United went up and, and Leeds didn't go up and I think he did send a tweet to um to that effect as well without even mentioning Leeds so it, it that that would be that would be a real bear pit scenario for him to go into. It would be completely different going into it as a United player who played on loan for Yorkshire club, Sheffield United at Leeds, rather than just going there with Sheffield United. Daniel Not James sure. might be an interesting one at Ellen Road as well, given given his uh, collapse move there he, in the Amazon Prime. If he makes the squad, though, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> yeah, yeah, that is fair. Even with, even with a prolonged bench, you might think, uh, who I'm knows. I'm surprised to hear you saying that, Rich, as a proud Welsh football fan. Very surprised well, to hear because, you doubting Daniel yeah. James. Yeah, but the other the other factor of being a Welsh football fan is you've got to be a pessimist. You've got to always expect the worst, and I think you've got to lower your expectations. You ride the wave, and now that it's come crashing down, you just you have to fear monger. That's all we can do. But uh, <laughs> speaking of Welsh wingers that could make an impact at Old Trafford, uh, David Brooks, someone who United are interested in uh, looking at this summer, not someone who's an alternative to Sancho, but as we said in the early podcast this week as well, which you can check out if you haven't already, he's someone who would be a squad option, someone who could come to the first team now, do a job, be a short-term fix if they were to go for Sancho at a later date, but someone who's got undeniable quality and would be a step off on, on Pereira and Lingard. And Dom, you you said previously you'd be well in favour of Brooks moving to United. Yeah, I think like you say, it's it's tricky. United fans were were pretty furious yesterday when when Brooks was the the talk of the town, and many thinking that um, he would be a direct replacement or an alternative. Sorry for for Jaden Sancho. I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as that. Um, and obviously, Brooks is not quite of the of the Sancho level. We know that his record isn't comparable he's not got the same sort of star appeal that Sancho does which obviously attracts to um so many fans especially on social media but you know he's 23 he can play in a number of positions across the the forward line I think Ryan Giggs is a a big fan obviously having worked with him uh, at Wales and he's an upgrade on on a few of those fringe players isn't he United James I think included in that Pereira Lingard and, and maybe you know, a long-term replacement for Juan Mata, who, who's obviously in the pro- approaching the last year of his contract and I think 32, 33 years old now. I think Brooks ticks a lot of boxes. You know, he's not he's not maybe box office, but I think he's he's he'd be a very good signing for United at the price that he's available for, in my opinion. Yeah, of course, that's probably the type of uh, transfer United to go for. And, you know, they, they they are always in the market for sort of bargain buys, similar in that James Mould, people who can come in and they talk about the right character, etc. And he's come back from his serious injury quite well. Uh, Samuel, do you agree that United, and maybe United fans as well, need to realise that this summer isn't all about marquee signings, as Solskjaer said, but you need to get effective squad players in as well? Absolutely. 
and Solskjaer has alluded to that in over the last week, talking about um, it, it can't be just marquee players, and they they need to. Str- he specifically said they need to strengthen the depth. So they they kind of did that with Daniel James last year, but then because of injuries and because of his instant impact or near instant impact, he was. Uh, he was voiced into the first team and he was a regular, certainly up until uh, probably Tottenham away, where he, he just didn't perform. Greenwood came into the team and, and took his chance pretty swiftly. So th- they do need to focus on that. And again, we come back round to it. What City have done with Ferran Torres and Nathan Ake is that they've those, those signings were not priorities, but they've got players in to flesh out the squad, enhance the squad. And their priority signing, probably Kula Bali, will likely come in at some stage between now and the start of the season, maybe once Napoli have signed a replacement. So your priority target doesn't have to be the first man through the door. And United have made it clear that their priority is the right wing and obviously Sancho, but that is taking an inordinate amount of time already. I know it's, I think the real way to look at it will be, and I say this just from a, um, you know, kind of personal experience. But every in, in a normal calendar, every year after the season's ended, I think I take the first two weeks off in June and go on holiday. And in the last four years, I think when I've done that, United have always, without failure, while I've been off, signed someone. I think it was by Lindelof, uh, Fred, and, and and Daniel James last year. If you want to go off a kind of like a similar time frame between from the end of the season to the first two weeks of June, and if United haven't signed anyone. By that point, then I think it's cause to start asking questions and say, what's going on here? Um, are you going to abandon interest in, in Sancho? Because they, they normally get one done very early in June in ordinary summers. Um, already, we're nearly four weeks into the window and they've still not signed anyone. And they're not the only club that haven't signed anyone. But of course, there's more scrutiny on them because they are united, because they have made some pretty colossal errors in, in recent summer windows and with certain signings. But they do need players in uh, pretty quickly and they need to get rid of the players as well. And it, it is a truncated window. It's there's, there's a lot of mitigation to take into account, but there's no reason why they shouldn't be um, getting players in like of the ilk of Brooks who are going to improve the squad depth but won't be coming to the club as first-team players. Surely the solution is for you to go on holiday then, Samuel. I mean, I think the, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I've, have... got, I've got a week off next week, if that's of any consolation for any listeners. So maybe that will signal a signing. That that will be the puff of smoke that, um, that arises. But uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. There might be quarantine should... though as well, Rich. So you're basically saying that you want Samuel to go into quarantine, which I think is a bit harsh. Most well... destinations at the moment. <laughs> You know, things got to be done, haven't you? You've got to think of the greater good of the club sometimes. So, uh, you know, if you want to sign have to be made. Time, yeah, if you want to get a crowdfunder together, get Samuel on holiday, get get Samuel back to Shanghai, maybe that could be the uh, oh. solution a year on. Are you, but, are, you, uh, who, are you coming with me on that one as well? I think I'll happily pass to ever go back. No offence to that, but my skin just hasn't been the same since I went back. Really dry shins. Don't know why. If anyone's got any tips, please do get in touch. Um, Dom. <laughs> Yeah, final question we've got today. We'll obviously do transfers maybe more next week and, and in weeks to come, but I've got a question on Twitter from Matthew Butterworth. He says, obviously, in terms of 
next season, the biggest changes will be in terms of transfers. But what other changes do you think United will look to make before the new season? Do you think they'll look to employ any different tactics? Or I mean, because last summer was all about building fitness, wasn't it? Do you think there'll be any other things on Solskjaer's to-do list rather than just bolster the playing squad ahead of next season? Yeah, I'd like to see that happen in terms of the tactical tweak uh, and different options that they can go to. I wasn't a, a, ever really a particular fan of the the three or five at the back system that um, that he deployed in in the big games with James as part of a, a split strike duo. I think they have to maybe be a little bit be a little bit more creative and maybe a diamond in midfield would suit some of the resources that they have. And in terms of that area of the pitch, can you get Fred Matic? And Pogba all starting together, maybe. Can you play Martial and Rashford as a as a central pair? You know, if you do get Sancho, where do you where do you use him? Is it exclusively on the right? I think these are things that Solskjaer needs to be looking at. I think that the fitness drive last year was it was a good message, I think, to send. I think it was more maybe about the the message and the PR that we're gonna work harder than ever before. We you know, we're not this sort of underperforming team anymore. We're going to outplay and outwork teams. I don't think that that's maybe such a need anymore for Solskjaer to, to sort of bang that drum. I think it's it's going to have to be about more, a bit more tactical fluency and more sophistication maybe, especially when coming against top teams uh, in big games like the Sevilla one where United were maybe in need of a bit of a tactical tweak, but it, it didn't come. Yeah, of course. And it was sort of last summer where they talked about fitness, this new high pressing line. And, you know, the first couple of games we did see it, but when you win four of your first 14 Premier League games, it's hard to really buy into that too much. I know, Samuel, they were sort of feeding us all these uh, fitness stats from last uh, from last summer's preseason, saying how much extra they'd worked, but they were comparing it to a side the previous year who was made up of youth players effectively so you know it's still a, a big ask and United still have a lot of work to do in terms of fitness but uh, for you Samuel do you think there'll be any more changes to United's formation going into next season do you think he's got to persist with this sort of 4-2-3-1 and then change a backup plan as well uh, I don't really see why he would abandon it and the, they they started that 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 was the the notable shift in pre-season last year that they went to 4-2-3-1 and you know, you did wonder whether that was the right decision because there was this obsession with playing Pogba on the left of a of a midfield three, but he showed at the World Cup and at various stages of his United career as well um, that he's more than capable of playing in an axis. So I don't, it, it, especially where it's difficult to um, to get players in United at the moment, um, as it always tends to be the case. It would seem a little bit counterproductive to make that change now. Uh, with with Fernandez, you you really don't want to move him. Playing him as the playmaker makes infinite sense. Um, there will be games where his his role will have to be tweaked, but I think that's been rather consistent ever since he came in. That although the formation has altered from time to time, and they have gone to a back three or a back five, depending on how how defensive they've looked, he has always been in that number ten role be behind uh, the lone striker or um, the split strikers so uh, I, I don't really see them moving away from that they, they clearly want to be more controlling in games and that's going to be the big test when it, it comes to playing against the elite I suppose next season but it's it's still strange to to analyze those situations in terms of how how much more uh, adept they are at controlling games where the, the, there are no supporters I mean the having an atmosphere does make a huge impact on how how teams actually go about the way they play yeah it'd be 
interesting to see how United do uh, start that new season. Like we said, we've already talked through the fixtures. If you want to go back and listen to them, again, you can. And of course, I'm sure if you want to tweet Samuel, he'll be happy to talk you through all the fixture news you can divulge <laughs> until the season starts. But uh, Dom, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Manchester's Red Podcast. Thank, thank you. you very much, Rich. Uh, we will be back again, like we said, next week to have another podcast. We will take some more of your questions as well. I know producer Ash is keen to get involved in those. And of course, we'll bring you all the latest transfer news, both online and on the podcast as well. So for all your latest United news, stick with the Manchester Evening News. But please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.